0: Let me ask you a question. I want you to answer it not, um, not by turning to the people around you. You'll see why in a moment when I ask the question. Just answer it just for yourself, in your own mind. Are you happy with yourself? Are you happy with yourself? Just answer it there in your own head. In one sense, it's a bit unfair asking a room full of young people, uh, sort of older teens, early twenties, are you happy with yourself? That's kind of a cheap shot in one sense. Um, I'm sure there's all sorts of ways in which we're not happy with ourselves, so let me just refine it a bit. Are you happy with yourself? I'm not talking about some of the things that, uh, all sorts of stuff why we might not be happy with ourselves, but actually what that boils down to is just false stuff in our culture about what we should be like. So I'm not talking about are you happy with yourself like, you know, your bum's too big or you've got a bad haircut or you lack fashion sense or you like bad music or your family doesn't have much money or... I'm not talking about those sorts of things, okay? I'm not talking about those things. Are you happy with yourself? I'm talking about the deeper stuff. The kind of thing where you think to yourself, now, now, why am I like that? Why do I... Why do I react like that? Why did I do that again? That kind of stuff. Are you happy with yourself? Or you know when you have one of those moments where you suddenly see yourself through someone else's eyes. Maybe someone that you've wronged and you suddenly go, hang on a minute, am I, am I really like that? Am I really that selfish? Am I, <clears throat> am I really that whiny? those kind of things are you happy with yourself do you remember the, the clip from the very first talk the the guy that was eating the the hot dog the american guy and he was talking about imagine if the world was god's poem or god's play or a film what sort of a character would you be and he said chances are if we did see ourselves on screen we wouldn't like ourselves if we saw a character that was just like we are would we like ourselves That's an interesting question, isn't it? If you were watching a film and you walked on as a character and you didn't know it was you, would you like that character? Maybe in all of that, as you think about that, maybe you can relate to something that um, Jason Bourne said. Not a real person, a fictional character from uh, the, the Bourne movies. The third one was on last night. I think it was on ITV2. I greatly enjoyed watching it. good set of films. Um, all about, of course, all about identity, all about this guy who doesn't know who he is and what does he have to do to figure it out. This is a quote from him. He says, something happened to me. Something happened to me and I need to know what it was or I'll never be free of this. He's saying something made me this way. There's something about me that's not right. Not how it should be, and even I know that. I wish it were not like that. Something happened, and I ended up like this. If I could only retrace what it was, then maybe... Well, hold those kind of thoughts. Part of how we define our identity is to do with how we love. Just think about this. Um, When you are filling in your profile on Facebook or something like that, you include a list of what you like, don't you? What music you like, what films you like, what your views are on stuff. It's part of how we define our identity, what we love, what we desire or want, what we long for, the stuff we're into, the causes we believe in, um, the people we love and the people we look up to. Those kind of things, that's part of how we define ourselves. So I might, in one conversation, I might define myself as a a Yorkshire cricket-loving fan of classic rock who longs for the day... When stakes grow on trees. You might be a tennis loving eco-warrior who fancies Simon Cowell. I don't know. But the Bible makes that link even, even tighter, okay? And even deeper. The link between what we love and who we are. Much deeper. And, and it, does, it does so under the idea of, of what we worship. In the Bible, what we love and what we worship are very, very closely linked together. Think about the greatest commandment. What Jesus says is the greatest commandment is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. See, worship and love are very close together. What we worship is simply the the love that's kind of at the top of the list of loves, isn't it? That's what we worship as our God, our number one love. What we treasure, what we delight in, what we value most above all else, what we trust in and rely on, that's what we worship. And the Bible says that who we love or what we love, who or what we worship, shapes who we are. The Bible says we are what we worship. We are what we worship. Come with me to Psalm 115. If you've got a Bible, look it up or it's on the screen. Psalm 115 verses 2 to 8. If you're a football fan, you'll you'll relate to this idea. You know when you're at a football game and you're singing and you're not just singing for your side, you're singing against the other side. Yeah, like a football kind of taunt of the other side. Slagging them off, telling them why they're rubbish. Psalm 115, or at least the bit of it we're going to read, is like the Bible's football taunt, football terraces chant against the other team, all the idol-making teams, all the false god teams. This is the Bible's football taunt, football chant about why those teams are rubbish. Okay, So let's read it together. Psalm 115, from the terraces. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. You see that whole full list of why they are rubbish, why their gods are rubbish. They're dumb, they're, they've got no feelings, they've got no sense of hearing, they can't listen, they can't do anything, they can't move, they can't speak. They're dumb. That's their gods. They're dumb, they're stupid, they can't do anything. That's their gods. Our God, however, he's in heaven, he does whatever pleases him. But the key thing for what we're looking at is verse 8, the very bottom of the reading. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Worship an idol, and you will become like that idol. Make an idol, set it up to be your God, put your trust in it, and you'll become like it. It's a taunt. The idols are are dumb and blind and deaf and they can't smell, they can't walk, they can't talk. And it's saying, if you want to worship something like that, something dead and lifeless as your God, you can expect to become like that God, dead and lifeless. We are what we worship. We become like what we love. Well, why is that? Why, 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 does, why does it work that way? Why is it that whatever it is that we treasure, whatever it is that we worship the most, we become like that thing or person? Why? Well, do you remember in the previous talk, I said human beings are like mirrors. The Bible says we were made in the image of God. we were made to reflect God. We are mirrors. Made in the image of God, made to reflect Him. See, if we're mirrors, as we face God then we reflect him, don't we? As we face God, we reflect him, we're like him. But what happens when you stick something else in front of the mirror? It doesn't stop reflecting, it just reflects something else, doesn't it? If you stick something in between the mirror and the object that it was originally reflecting, it still reflects, it just reflects something else now. Put something between us and God, some kind of idol, we stop reflecting him so much and we start reflecting the idol. We're mirrors. We don't stop being mirrors just because it's not God that we're worshipping. We reflect whatever it is that we worship. Which means one of the major reasons... You and I are the way that we are is because of what we worship. One of the reasons we react the way that we do, one of the reasons we get angry at the things that we get angry at, one of the reasons we get sad at the things we get sad at is to do with what we worship. Jason Bourne said, something happened to me and I need to know what it was. Or I'll never be free of this. What happened to us? We stopped worshipping God in all his beauty and his goodness and his glory. And we started worshipping other things. We made them our hearts delight. And so we became like them. Let me show you another passage that kind of has the same idea in it. Romans chapter 1. Verses 21 to 28. It's kind of like Paul the Apostle is telling the story of the human race but from the perspective of, from the angle of, what we worship. It says, here's the story of the human race told from the angle of, what is it that we worship? So, let's have a read. Romans chapter 1. If I can find it. great verse 21 for although they knew God this is human beings for although they knew God they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him but in their thinking became uh, futile and their foolish hearts were darkened although they claimed to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles See that verse 23? Exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. If you exchange glory, what do you exchange it for? An exchange, there's always something replacing, isn't there? You exchange something. If you exchange something that is glorious for something that's not glorious, what is that thing? What's the opposite of glory? Anybody want to hazard a guess? What's the opposite of glory? Shame. Shame. Bingo. We exchange the glory of God, for something that's not glorious, for shame. Just have a look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another shame same idea there verse 26 uh, verse 26 because of this God gave them over to shameful lusts even though women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones and so on same with the men in verse 27 exchange glory for shame why? because we stopped worshipping the God who is glorious so we stopped reflecting glory we start reflecting something else instead Shame. We become shameful. Look at verse 25, they did another exchange as well. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now, if you exchange truth for a lie, do you become wise? No, you don't become wise, you become foolish. You stop worshipping truth, start worshipping a lie. By definition, you become foolish. Verse 22: although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Foolish. Uh, This bit of Romans 1 it pretty much traces all the stuff that's wrong with human beings and with human society. It pretty much traces it all right back to the issue of what we worship. And says, we are reflecting the wrong thing. We are worshipping the wrong thing. And that's where it all went wrong. So our problem is not just that there's a list of bad of bad things that we're not supposed to do and we do some of them. And it's not just that there's a list of good things that we're supposed to do and we, we, we don't do them. That's part of it. We break laws, but it's deeper than that, isn't it? It's a problem of the heart. We treasure the wrong thing. We desire the wrong thing. We make the object of our entire lives, of our deepest love, the wrong stuff instead of God. That's what we do, all of us, by nature. Later on in Romans, uh, Paul will say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we're meant to be reflecting. But we don't. We become like what we worship. What we love most of all shapes us, either for our glory or for our ruin. So the obvious question is, what is it that you and I worship? If we were to kind of get a spiritual x-ray machine that allowed us to peer into everybody's hearts... And we could see a kind of a, a, a visual representation of our hearts and what they treasure the most. What would we see a shrine to or a temple to? Who or what is enthroned in our hearts as God? What do we worship? Well, I can't, I can't answer that question for you. Let me, let me suggest some options that I think are quite common in our culture at the moment. You might be able to relate to them. And let me try and explain how we become like what we worship. So, you might worship yourself. For example, it might be your goal in life to become famous. That's what you want. That's what you live and long for, fame. Because number one in your mind is you. You want to be worshipped by others. And so, of course, you worship yourself. (coughs) But what you're really worshipping is an inflated version of yourself. In your own mind and heart, when we worship ourselves, we're really saying that we're bigger than we are. We're better than we are. We're, We're greater than we are. We're kind of puffing ourselves up in our own minds and our own hearts. I really am that great. I really do deserve all that praise and attention and whatever else it is that we crave I really do deserve to be loved and adored by millions because of my skills on the ukulele or whatever your special skill is. Um, We're worshipping an inflated version of ourselves. What happens to us if we do that? Well, we become what we worship. We become an inflated version of ourselves. And it's not pretty, is it? You know when you meet someone who's really arrogant? Well, that's what's going on. They love themselves. They love this inflated image of themselves that they've got in their own mind and heart. And so they become like that. They become this puffed up version of themselves. We talk about people like that as if they're big headed. And it's a metaphor, but it's a good metaphor, isn't it? In their minds and hearts, they're inflated. We become what we worship. Maybe, maybe we worship sex. People who worship sex become perverts. Not because sex is wrong or bad, or dirty. It's a good thing created by God. But if we worship it, instead of God, we become perverts. And everything becomes sexual to us. You see innuendo and crass jokes everywhere that you go. Everyone around you becomes a potential sexual conquest. Women become sex objects. Now when that happens, the world around us hasn't changed, but we have. We've changed. We might worship material possessions because we have to have the latest thing, the latest model, the newest version of the iPhone or whatever it is, the coolest new gadget. We have to have it. Well, if you worship stuff like that, you become what? Well, I think one of the things that happens to us is that we become shallow. If you worship the latest thing, all you live for is the next thing. Well, that's constantly changing, isn't it? That's constantly new. It's not meant to last. Everything always needs upgrading. Nothing is, there's nothing kind of long term or long lasting about the latest new thing. By definition. So we worship that well. We might stand in danger of becoming a shallow person. Where well, there's actually nothing deep and nothing lasting about us either. Because we live for the next new thing. We become what we love. We become like what we worship. The Bible is saying to us if there's something wrong with us, it can be traced back to what it is that we worship. So if you have an anger problem, maybe the God you worship is demanding and unforgiving too. Maybe that's why you have an anger problem. If you have a lust problem, well, maybe the God that you worship is selfish. If we're a critical and a judgmental person, well, maybe we worship the God of other people's opinions. Whatever idol we worship, we become like them. And there's one way that we definitely become like them, whatever the idol is, whatever it is that we're putting between us and God, there's one way that we definitely become like it that we can be sure. Back in Psalm 115, do you remember, the psalmist says the idols, they can't, They can't speak, they can't hear, they can't feel, they can't walk, they can't speak. And those who worship them become like them. Worship idols and you become spiritually blind and dumb and deaf and dead. That's what happens. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, we'll have a passage up on the screen in in, in a few minutes, but we don't need it right now. But it puts it like this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. If you worship the God of this age, you will become blind. Whatever created God we worship, it isn't the true God. And if we worship it, it, it kind of dulls our senses. It dulls our appetite. Our ability to respond to the real God. You know, like people who've sort of spent their whole life living off McDonald's. And so they have no idea how good a roast dinner tastes. Because all they know is McDonald's and they've no appetite for an actual, you know, good home cooked meal. It's like that. God becomes less attractive to us because we're completely distracted by something else. We think that the real God can't deliver what we what we're looking for in this idol. And God becomes less real because we're obsessed with something that we can see and touch. We want an idol that we can see and touch. And the invisible God, well, he can't fulfill that, can he? I saw a number of people that I come across um, in life, in church life. um, And you find them and they say, well, I'm going through a crisis of faith and I'm wondering whether God is still there or not. And sometimes people just have that question, and it just is a genuine question, and that might be you, and that's fine. But quite often I find, when you push a bit deeper with people who are going through that kind of crisis, I just don't know if God is still there or not, when you push a bit deeper, what you often find is that it turns out that there's something else in their life that they love and live for. There's an idol. You see, God isn't hiding from them, they've just become less sensitive to him. Of course he doesn't feel like he's there because they're constantly ignoring him for something else. Think about it. You know, if, if your idol is 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 a boyfriend, that might be your idol. Either a real boyfriend or, you know, one that you want. If, you're, if, if, if a, a boyfriend is your idol, you're not going to be attracted to the real God because he isn't like a boyfriend, despite some of the you know, Christian songs that there are sung out there, he isn't like a boyfriend. He really isn't. He's not going to send you a Valentine's Day card. He's not going to take you out on dates. You can't show him off to friends at school. It's not like that. If a boyfriend's your idol, the real God is not going to be as attractive to you. But the sad thing is, the truth is, he, it's because he's better than that. He's so much better than that. Again, we settle for less. We dull our spiritual senses and our spiritual appetites and it leads us away from God. That's why the Bible says the solution we need is basically a miracle. 2 Corinthians is going to appear on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter, well, the very end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. I actually just want to duck down to verse four of chapter four, which I think is on the next screen. Let's have a look at a verse. It says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God, of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, worshipping the here and the now has blinded the minds of unbelievers in Paul's day. And what the, the result is that they look at Jesus, but they don't see who he really is. They, they, they don't see him and go, you know, he, good news. The glory of God is shining in the face of Jesus. They just can't see it. He's not attractive to them. Because their spiritual eyes have been dulled. They've been blinded by the idols that they worship. That's the situation. What's the solution? Look at verse 6. In fact, in case you're falling asleep, let's read verse 6 together, Okay? Everybody is happy with that on the count of three? One, two, three. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God performs a miracle. In idol worshipping hearts like ours. He performs a complete miracle. It's just like when he made the world. When God made the world he spoke and he said let light shine out of darkness. And it did. A complete miracle of creation. Let there be light and there was. He spoke and performed the miracle. Well when he remakes us. When he recreates us. He does a similar miracle. He does it through speaking again. He speaks the gospel, into our hearts by the power of his spirit. And he, can, he kind of undoes the effects of idolatry on our hearts and on our spiritual senses and makes us see for the first time who Jesus really is and go, ha, huh, he's so much better than those idols. He's so much better than the alternative. I look into the face of Jesus and I see shining the glory of God. Now that is attractive. And it's a miracle, a complete miracle. So the second thing I want us to learn this afternoon is that we are transformed as we worship Jesus Christ. We become like what we worship and therefore, as we worship Jesus Christ, we are transformed, we're changed. It's a complete miracle. Turned away from idols to worship Jesus Christ. Turned away from our idols to the glory of God shining in Jesus' face to start being able to reflect him again. It's a kind of a one-off miracle, but it's a one-off miracle that leads to a process of change. Look again at the reading in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We've seen it's a one-off miracle where God works in our hearts so that we see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus and we go, yeah, I don't want to worship my idols anymore. I want to worship him. But it's also a process. Chapter 3, verse 18. We who with unveiled faces um, all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Ah, My translation is different. That's good because that one's right. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. With ever increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. transform back into the image of God. One degree of glory at a time. That's a slow process isn't it? One degree of glory at a time. We were made to reflect God's glory. And in Jesus we're we're kind of. The idols are removed. Or we're turned back round. So that we're facing God in Christ. And we begin to reflect his glory again. But it's a process it's a process we're transformed as 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 that kind of works out into our lives in a lifelong process it's a a process it's only going to get completed when Jesus returns it's not going to get completed before then but it's a process and what does that process involve? well it's as we contemplate the glory of the Lord We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. I don't know about you, I I hear the word contemplate, and I think it just is something to do with either looking or thinking. Contemplating. It's like contemplating is like something you do in an art gallery. You know, you sort of if you're that kind of a person, you sort of contemplate the paintings with a very sort of, you know, um, arty look on your face. Hmm, I'm gonna contemplate these paintings. That's not really what it's talking about. It's not really what he's getting from. He's actually using a metaphor from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God met with Israel in a tabernacle, uh, a big tent that had a number of sections, and God made his glory kind of visible and felt and present. God made his glory shine in the innermost section of that tent. They called it the Holy of Holies. And nobody could go into it apart from one guy, and that was the high priest, once a year when he came and he offered a sacrifice in worship. Now, what Paul's been saying is that through Jesus, we all now get access to God in that kind of way that the holy, the, the, the high priest was the only guy who got that before. Now, we all get that access. The veil, the curtain is removed. We've all got unveiled faces, and we get to encounter the glory of God in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. We're all welcomed into the presence of God through Jesus, and we get to see God's glory like only the high priest did back in the Old Testament. In fact, we see it shining in the face of Jesus. It's not just it's not just looking, it's actually entering his presence, being present, drawing near to him in worship like the high priest entered the tabernacle back in the Old Testament. That's what he's talking about. Now let's step back a bit and look at what we're actually saying. What are we saying by all of this? We become like what we worship and we are transformed as we worship Jesus Christ. Sometimes people think that becoming a Christian you have to somehow become less you. You kind of have to Suppress the real you and fake it or something like that you have to stop being who you really could be and kind of box yourself in with all these limits that's what people sometimes think becoming a Christian is about it's conforming to someone else's standards instead of being free and being yourself instead of being you you have to listen to a dusty old book which tells you what to think And the real freedom, the real kind of time when we become ourselves is when we throw all that God nonsense off and we just go and make it up on our own. That's kind of sometimes how our culture tells the story. Well, this is saying pretty much the opposite. It's saying the opposite. It's saying, look, we only become truly, fully human. Human. We only become who we were made to be and who we are meant to be. We only become our true selves when we become a worshipper of Jesus Christ. When we treasure him, when we contemplate his glory. When we worship him and make him the centre of our lives and the treasure of our hearts. That's when we become truly, fully human. See, we were made to reflect God. That's who we were made to be. And if we worship idols, well, we don't reflect God, we reflect them. We become less than what we were meant to be. Worshipping idols, that's what makes you less human. That's what mars and distorts who you really are. Worshipping Jesus, that's being restored to what we should be. And we've seen that that's a complete miracle. And so I want to say if you're here and you know that you have never made that kind of fundamental break with your idols and said, Yes, what I really want to do is follow Jesus. I want to worship Jesus, not these other things that I've been worshipping. If you've never made that fundamental break with them, but you're beginning to think that you maybe want to. You know, you kind of you feel there's something wrong. You know that the things that you're worshipping in your life the idols of your heart you know that they're not delivering and you don't like the person that you're becoming well maybe just maybe god is starting to work that miracle in your heart if that's you if that's you i challenge you i, I encourage you why not pray for that miracle why not what what do you lose Why not pray, let me see Jesus for who he is. God, you shone light out of darkness. Why don't you shine your light in my dark heart? Let me see Jesus for who he really is. Let me see why I should turn to worship him and turn away from my idols. But we've also seen that being transformed this way is a process. As we worship Jesus throughout our lives, we become like him. Now that tells us that there is no change without Jesus. There's no change without Jesus. There's no change without treasuring Jesus. We will not do this. We won't become more who we ought to be. We won't change. You know, if we're kind of just trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. If we think we're going to do it just by kind of gritting our teeth and trying harder. Or reading some self-help books. Or disciplining ourselves in some way. That's not how we'll do it. That's not how change comes. We need Jesus at the start of the Christian life. And we need Jesus all the way through the Christian life. But will you commit yourself to that process? We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, will you commit yourself to that, to prizing Jesus Christ above all others and above everything else? Will you strive every day to get to know him better? Will you persist in drawing near to God through him, even when you don't feel like you want to? In prayer, studying the Bible, hearing it taught, joining in worship together with God's people, bowing the knee before him day after day after day, Making him the delight of your heart. Will you do it? Well, whichever option is you. Whether it's for the first time or whether it's the ongoing process. Jesus invites us, all of us. He says, find yourself. Find yourself by making me, making Jesus your delight and treasure. Become who you were made to be by worshipping him.